Hello, and welcome to the Library Coven, a bi-weekly podcast in which two bookish besties discuss mostly YA fantasy through the lens of intersectional feminist criticism. Why? Because critique is our fangirl love language, and because talking about books is pretty magical. I'm Jesse, And I'm Kelly. And in this episode, we are continuing our not YA, not young adult streak with Silvia Moreno-Garcia's novel Mexican Gothic. After receiving a disturbing letter from her cousin, Catalina, the precocious Noemi leaves the party scene in Mexico City for a remote mining town in the hopes of rescuing Catalina and also figuring out what the hell is going on in the creepy high place. But Noemi gets more than she bargained for and she unearths some disturbing Doyle family secrets along the way. So please buckle in for mystery and mycelia <laughs> and alliterations. <laughs> <laughs> Puns from Kelly. <laughs> <laughs> and Please take care of yourselves, folks. There is a content warning for sexual assault. Um, um, wait, but ahead. like, I thought that this was a particularly good summary. So I just, I to- feel like you should like be writing summaries for books after you just like said that. I was like, wow, this is a really good summary. I, don't, I think it just stands out because of the mediocre quality of my other ones. <laughs> <laughs> don't worry. I end all mine with and chaos ensues. Let's find out what happens. <laughs> so good job really good thank you really good thank summary. you plot summary you're welcome <laughs> earlier before the season started we let some of our patreon members pick books to read for this season this one was suggested by melissa we'll probably let patreon members continue to choose books for each season so if you're interested in that you can become a patreon member for as little as one dollar a month thanks melissa for this suggestion we are excited to read it <laughs> and excited to discuss initial reactions i think i read this book around this time last year so when we're recording right now it's october 28th a few days before the best day of the year which is halloween i loved it then i love it now i think it's perfect for the halloween season just the right amount of scary but not so scary that i'm gonna have nightmares and this was my first book by moreno garcia after we read gods of jane's shadow which i did not particularly enjoy so like and then this one is like fantastic so i love this book there was no traveling in it so maybe that's why (laughs) or we didn't see any traveling (laughs) what did you think i really also also really like this book and i also listened to the audiobook when it came out i think it came out fall last year right yeah i think so but i actually enjoyed the reread even more i think maybe because reading it for the podcast made me pay attention more and so I was like listening for and finding all the like easter eggs for the literature nerds you know about like gothic fiction and and Mexican literature or Mexican history and all that stuff so uh yeah excited to get into it all right recommend if you like I generally don't read any horror books because I'm a big baby about scary stuff. Um, I.e. I get nightmares literally from watching trailers for World War Z. I had nightmares about it. Um, <laughs> I know. <laughs> wow. You wouldn't think this of me, but it's true. I'm so sorry. <laughs> so I put my librarian skills to use to find some read-alikes. So here are some that I found. The House on Haunting Hill by Shirley Jackson, which also has like a net thing I think like a movie or tv show or something the oh Kelly can you help me with this title (laughs) would you like me to say it yes please the inheritance of Orchidia Divina by Zoraida Cordova thank you Kelly with her Spanish skills (laughs) 
that book came up and is on my TBR. I'm really excited to read that one. Yes, Zoraida Cordova's foray into adult, adult. fantasy. Well, she, I mean, also writes romance, but yeah, but and like Star Wars stuff. And then Lovecraft Country by Matt Ruff. There's also a TV show for this on HBO. And I know we have some listeners that really liked um, the show Lovecraft Country. So what have you got, Kelly? I was also thinking I want to echo the Lovecraft Country one in particular because mm-hmm. I was it's like a paranormal mystery. Yeah. You know, so if you're into those, definitely check. I didn't this finish the show. <laughs> what? Really? No. It wasn't what I expected it to be. So, oh, OK, was it too scary? No, but it was too, like, monster of the week, and, like, there was a lot of that white lady in it, and I was like, if this is about to be some white saviorism story, I am not here for it, and then I just got bored, so I stopped watching. (laughs) I can't remember what happens to the white lady, but I don't think she comes out looking too good in the end. Okay, good. Maybe I'll pick it back up. Unsurprisingly, probably. Yeah. (laughs) I would also say, I want to add to, recommend if you like that, read this book if you like old school gothic fiction, like henry james turn of the screw shit that you were forced to read in high school for example and then if you enjoyed gods of jade and shadow which is an adult fantasy novel that we also did for the podcast that jesse mentioned earlier i think you'd enjoy mexican gothic because it's kind of got it's got um similar like broody vibes the heroine is growing up finding themselves yeah figuring out supernatural business so that's what i would say yeah maybe also i'll add like edgar Allan poe i kind of forgot about that guy but that's not too scary but it's pretty it's got similar vibes (laughs) time to talk about world building in through the wardrobe so this book is set in a creepy ass house in Mexico with some shitty formerly white, no, not formerly white, formerly rich <laughs> white people living in it. They're still white, um, but no longer rich. They seem to have like lost a lot of their money. What's it called? The Doyle house? High place. High place. Yeah. It's just real creepy. <laughs> I um, was glad to see this, that you put this in the notes too, because the house is basically a main character. It's got like a personality of its own and it's got like its own character arc where we find out more and more about it and it's revealing its secrets as we go along. And it turns out to be like fundamental to the entire plot line because of the mushrooms, which we'll get into later. Or as Jesse calls them in the notes, the fucking mushrooms. <laughs> <laughs> so like the it's pretty standard in a in a got in gothic fiction for this for the setting to take on a protagonistic role. Anything like the Moors in Wuthering Heights or like the mansion in Jane Eyre or the Abbey and the Monk or the creepy lab in Frankenstein or Dracula's castle. And I'm going to keep shouting to the rooftops about how much I love Sylvia Moreno Garcia's take on this, you know, how she puts it in a different place than it has been seen before because the authors are majority Eurocentric white folks. So it just like adds so much more depth and it's so much more interesting and way more twists and turns, I think because of the fact that, she's i don't know positioned like peripherally or critically to this like european the legacy of this like literary tradition that has been taken over by european people or it's like not necessarily take that's the wrong word but like i don't know you get to like see how colonization comes up and racism and eugenics come up um and it's like 
all fundamentally related to the house and the the place. It's like so material. So Marxists would like this book, <laughs> historical materialists. Um, anyway, that was a long ramble, but yes, I agree with you. The house is creepy. It's scary. And there's a lot of graveyards. So it's like a sprawling estate too. Mm-hmm. It's not like the mansion is one part of it, but then there's also all these cemeteries and then subterranean catacombs. Yeah, like tunnels and stuff. Right. Yeah, it's a creepy-ass house. I would not want to be there. I mean, it'd be fun, like, for a haunted house, but, like, I would not sleep there if my life depended on it. (laughs) There's also no Spanish spoken in the Doyle house, even though the book takes place in Mexico. And we see Noemi and Francis speaking Spanish to hide what they're talking about because, like, nobody there speaks Spanish. (laughs) Um, Except I'm I'm assuming, like, the people who are like working in the house because they seem to be from the area and the miners who are all dead now, but I'm guessing they spoke Spanish, but you know, the Doyles didn't take time to learn the language of the people they were employing, which is ridiculous and also very helpful (laughs) to know at me. (laughs) The caucasity. Uh, Yeah. (laughs) No surprises here, but also it does help. Noemi in the end and I mean Francis does learn how to speak Spanish and he can communicate with Noemi in that way yeah we're getting it's one of those little breadcrumbs that we breadcrumbs that we get that Francis might not be as bad as the rest of the apples in the bunch talk about Francis later (laughs) let's discuss all things magic fucking mushrooms i love mushrooms they're like one of my favorite foods in the entire universe so to see them be turned into something creepy and gross and scary and like i did not enjoy this (laughs) (laughs) you're gonna be cutting your shiitakes and wondering am i inhaling the spores i know i did see some creepy looking mushrooms at the grocery store and all i could think of was mexican gothic and it was before we even read this but i was just like i'm not eating any mushrooms that don't look like the mushrooms i normally get now (laughs) there's so many different kinds of mushrooms there are this is basically this wands out section is basically gonna be a love a mushroom love fest (laughs) (laughs) because mushrooms are incredible i loved how the book like takes the actual magic of mushrooms and is like yeah i'll raise this into fantasy levels Mm mm-hmm so cool so cool like because mushrooms are all they like connect to each other they can communicate they're like a forest network and they can like share nutrients between trees and it's incredible so like the tldr is mushrooms are fucking magical irl and check out fantastic fungi it's a documentary on netflix and then you can you don't have to listen to me wax poetic about uh fungi you can you know hear other people do it experts And mushrooms are also, like, so important for the ecosystem. Like, they literally decompose shit and dead things. And you can, like, put a log out in your backyard and drill some holes in it and put these little mushroom starters in it. And it'll create mushrooms and it'll just keep, it'll just fruit for you. It's incredible. I didn't know any of that. Mushrooms. And this is not to say anything. We haven't even gotten to the psycho, psychedelic part of the mushroom. Uh, experience which I am unfamiliar with I am also unfamiliar with also I think legally we have to say we're unfamiliar (laughs) with 
but I'm also really unfamiliar with it. It's, it seems too scary. I've heard bad stories, so I'm, I'm not trying it out. <laughs> I do think it has like some, I forget what I was watching, some kind of documentary about like drugs or something, but I think it was talking about how like magic mushrooms can help with like major depressive disorders and stuff. Yep. And PTSD. Yeah, like, so there are, like, medical reasons that people might use them. I mean, I think you're supposed to do it, like, highly supervised in very small amounts, not, like, tripping balls. Because <laughs> um, I think you want to be, like, in a safe environment where you don't feel, like, scared, because I think that can make the trip worse. Mm-hmm. But it's pretty cool that that's something that mushrooms can do just naturally. Yeah, 100%. And there's a long, 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 millennia-long tradition of mushrooms being used as entheogenic drugs. So, like... Con- connecting with the divine realm and stuff in lots of different spiritual traditions around the world, actually. So that's cool. Oh, I think Denver just a year ago or maybe two years ago legalized microdosing. Oh, so that's interesting. It's interesting. It's like it's so coming. You can legally say you can try them. <laughs> I am nowhere near. Exactly. <laughs> uh, so I don't know. There's the mushrooms. There's so much to think about mushrooms. Going back to the book that we read. <laughs> that we're supposed to be talking about (laughs) uh the gloon was so cool this like shared repository of memories and just like shows how creepy this like nostalgia can be you know if you're like forced to share the memories of your like racist sexist ancestors incesty yeah it was a wild ride those mushrooms they like it's weird that they can like hold on to the memories and then like Noemi is experiencing those memories and getting to see them. It was like a cool way to show us the past, like for the story, like for a literary device as a literary device for the, it to show us like what had happened before Noemi got there. Mm-hmm. And also very sound like reasoning for the quote unquote magical, the paranormal like mm-hmm. aspects of the story. Yeah. I got to let Lainey back in. I'm sorry. <laughs> Can you see her? Is she just so excited now? She's so excited. There was some urgent scratching to be done on the cat tree. (laughs) All right. Back to this book. (laughs) Now we're going to talk about conflict, villains, and good and evil in our segment, Get Me Kylo Ren. Yeah. So pretty much all of the Doyles, except for Francis, kind of, um, are villains in this story. That's it. Just the Doyles. <laughs> Fucking colonizers, man. Yeah. Yeah. They're just like, we ran out of silver, so we thought that we could come over here and take all of y'all silver and also take you into indentured servitude slash get rid, like, kill you off. Yeah. All to enrich ourselves and keep all of this, like, this candelabra in a, that no one's using in a cupboard. Like, yeah. what? It seemed like one of those, like, schemes, you know, when companies, like, build a place for you to live and then you have to pay them to live there from, you know, like company your town or whatever. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's it. That's it. It felt like one of those to me. And I'm like, what the fuck is going on here? Yeah. Those are super exploitative. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah. I'm reading parable of the sower by Octavia Butler with a friend of mine, just for like a little reading group that we're doing and company towns come up also as like, these people are because they're desperate, interested in that. But at the same time like no it's exploitative so it's like how many choices do you have given your circumstances yeah doesn't seem like it should be allowed (laughs) right it seems something's not right 
Yes, yes. Ugh, the Doyles. Yes, the Doyles. Terrible. And then Yield Howard, who is disgusting with all of his pustules and things. You can just, mm-hmm. like, fuck off and die. Yeah, I mean, I guess he's dead now. Yeah, they burned the house down. Yeah, I mean, hopefully it worked. Um, part of me is, like, scared. Like, at the end, Francis is scared that the, like, it's going to get him still. And I'm like, yeah, you should be, bro. <laughs> <laughs> the chickens here too. come home to roost. Yeah, yeah. Part two. <laughs> And then Francis, I guess, I like how you said Francis, pretty much except Francis, kind of, because Francis is pretty complicit until he's not, you know? So it's just like, I mean, that hap- that happens. Yes, yes. And it's hard because, like, when I read it the first time, obviously the second time I already knew what happened, but when I read it the first time, I was like, Francis is going to turn out to be bad at the end. Like, I do not trust this guy whatsoever. I'm like, no, Emmy, why are you trusting him? This seems like a terrible idea. And he's fine at the end, but I'm just like, Mm, is he though like he didn't do anything to help catalina or like i don't know i just don't he was ready to go around along with howard's like marriage plan and Noemi and come into like s- literally spice up the bloodline to yeah. use like their disgusting uh, eugenics <laughs> like oh my god gross and i get it noemi's hot he wants to be with her like whatever but you gotta do that <laughs> like, with some consent right and like you gotta not, like earn it you know not just be yeah. like a fucking milk toast yeah like white savior i mean he does seem like very sickly and victorian like peak timothy chalamet vibes going on and i like <laughs> love that but at the same time i'm like bro oh get it together <laughs> Onward, magical friends. Just as one does not simply walk into Mordor, one does not simply read fantasy without talking about representations of race, class, gender, and ability. This is our segment about power and bodies and how they relate. Okay, I think we're just going to have like a lot of complaints about Howard and the Doyles in this section. (laughs) Yes. Because one line that I picked out is like um, Howard's talking to Noemi. I don't remember about what you know his bullshit and he says quote a woman's function is to preserve the family line end quote and i was just like i'm gonna throw up first of all like you know very binary (laughs) um, expectations of family life but also like people who can get pregnant do not have to choose to get pregnant if they do not want to like Mm -hmm. i was just disgusted just so disgusted as a woman who does not want to have children i'm like oh my god no (laughs) there's no way (laughs) yeah Mm. and like the the very patriarchal expectation that this is how things are going to be and no one's going to question the validity of this arrangement or the equity inequity Mm -hmm. of the arrangement Mm -hmm. yes and then in that vein we see lots of talks about superior and inferior races which was like so funny to me because the the Doyles need the bloodlines of those that they consider inferior because their line is like super fucking weak. <laughs> yes, which is like the whole like crux of the, you know, thing. I'm like, how are you still spouting all this bullshit when y'all like like Francis looks like he's gonna tip over like with a gust of wind? <laughs> <laughs> like, what? <laughs> like, come on, Doyles. Y'all y'all are not <laughs> as superior as you think. Maybe the, all the eugenic stuff is just creating this story that mm-hmm. to it justifies superiority that doesn't exist when really maybe it's just a glimpse into the subconscious and how afraid and paranoid of your own like terrible medi- terribleness and mediocrity you know like that's what i think 
Yeah. It was just really funny to me that they were like, we are from the superior race. And then they're like, but we need you, brown girl, because <laughs> like ours isn't doing so great. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. I'm like, come on, guys. Get it together. There was a lot of like, I don't want to call them Easter eggs, I guess. But like, <laughs> um, if anyone's like looked in, I, I for the like, dissertation had to like study some of this like history of eugenics and stuff like that because of this project I was doing about the post-human and a lot of the times it's to like preserve this ideal but which is obviously always subjective and super problematic so that's the TLDR of the dissertation chapter that I wrote about that but like this guy this Italian guy in the 1800s Cesare Cesare Lombroso is this came up with this like idea of like criminality being able to be like red on your faces on your face and so hence like the like phrenology like where you're measuring skulls and no emmy's like they these people definitely have calipers around like no joke they yeah. do this in their free time it's it's so related to you know human migration and uh places being less homogenous looking and so this is when a lot of like the white terrible like discourse like just trying to justify all of this shit is coming out you know and it's like pseudoscience it's not actually science mm -hmm. this dude called jose vasconcelos comes up in the book and other another easter egg he's a historical figure from mexico and he did write this book called la raza cosmica which is basically trying to argue that like mestizaje the like colonizer indigenous mix that is in this person's conception in the early 1900s, I think, like, idealized, you know, as, like, this is going to be the race, the master race or whatever. But it's all just, like, bloviating, ridiculous bullshit. Yeah, I had, like, major Get Out vibes while reading this book. I should have put that Totally. In, like, I'll go add it back. Thanks. But, yeah, like, kind of, we need to, <laughs> we realize that we are not the stronger race or that maybe being some other race would be better. So, like, how do we get this into our family line? And I'm like, yeah, you need to get out of there, Noemi. Like, that's why I think I think that's why I thought Francis was going to be bad because like watching Get Out and then that girl, whatever her name yeah, is, yeah. was like in on it the whole time. So I was like really ready for him to be like a total, total villain. And we were potentially surprised. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. There's so much going on with Howard's many infirmities. Mm hmm. It's one of those where it seems like he's suffering because he's, like, tried to m play God and manipulate the natural order of things. And he's really old. Like, he's lived longer than he's supposed 300 to. 300 years old or something. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Our bodies were not meant to do that. <laughs> no, it's just, like, give up. And it's just this, it seems like this very white European obsession with, like, living forever and, mm -hmm. like eternal youth as like desirable things whereas like look at what has happened to howard and look what he has done to generations of people both yeah. inside his family and out and it's like maybe we should change direction yeah for sure florence is a karen oh my god yes a hundred percent that's all i have to I say about florence that. she's the worst she's the like worst. you can really count on the white women to be the police Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. that has been their societal role a lot of the time yeah to call them to be them just to endanger the lives of black and brown people in any way possible <laughs> just a day in the life 
I guess we could talk a little bit. I don't have much to say, but we could talk a little bit about like kind of this, how Howard and, and Virgil and this like legacy of white guy patriarchs are normalizing sexual assault because of their like compulsion powers. Right. Yeah. Yeah. It was very confusing, which is like part of the, what makes the creepiness, you know, is like, am I doing this? Am I consenting? Am I not? It's definitely not. Is this a dream? Is it real? It's mm-hmm. kind of both or straddles the line. So yeah. I don't know. I wanted to just put this in there and see what you think. Yeah. I mean, I definitely would say that this is like, there is sexual assault going on. Noemi doesn't want to do these things, but it seems like part of the magic of the book and maybe the magic that Howard and what's his other son called? Virgil. Oh, Virgil have is to like come into Noemi's dreams. And then in that way, they like, assault her but in the dream she's not sure if she wants to or not but it does seem like part of their magic is making her want to which i would say is not consent no and also like the sleepwalking aspect Mm -hmm. like there are times when people cannot consent yes exactly the book doesn't really deal with this and i guess we kind of see like the opposite of of it with um francis where like i feel like noemi is the one who like initiates things or like kisses him and that kind of stuff but it's like reciprocal and i think that's why we're supposed to see like him as a foil to um virgil and howard yeah and like a potential redemptive thread Mm -hmm. you know Mm -hmm. like if they can snap out of it basically if francis can get out quite literally you know that's one of the struggles is like you're not able to leave the house you know it's tethered to it physically and psychosomatically so it shows how it's insanity or sanity is and high place it's a it's a really fine line and maybe there is no line yeah I don't I'm not really sure and a lot of it comes down to like what's going on like obviously Virgil and Howard's powers and then I also think we kind of see like this differentiation like trying to show like these different kinds of masculinity with Francis versus Howard and Virgil like he's just not similar to them in any way like I know I called him like Timothy Chalamet, like Victorian and a sickly looking. And he is, you know, (laughs) like, you know, whatever. Anyways, but like we see him and he's like very nice to Noemi. He's like very accommodating, like asks her what she wants to do and like helps her do what she needs to do. Whereas like Howard and Virgil are like, whatever I want to do is what you're going to do. And there's like no questions about it. So I kind of appreciated, I guess, that aspect of the book scene like these uh, like we don't really get an in-between but we do see like different types of masculinity within the story yeah and you're describing like the the way that they use their power is very different yes yeah so we get toxic masculinity but we also just get like i don't know just then i guess a nice guy he's nice ish <laughs> Finally, it's time for Shipwrecked, a segment about asexuality, sexuality, sex, romance, and relationships. And sometimes we take liberty and do some shipping of our own. So Noemi and Francis, that's our only ship really available to us. During my first read of the book, I was so suspicious of Francis, which I've mentioned like a few times. I don't know that I'm on board with their relationship. Like something about it just seems off. I don't know. What do you think? I think that you unintentionally used a nautical pun. Oh, did I? Oh, on board. (laughs) (laughs) That's what I think. No pun intended. Yeah. (laughs) I think this is a leaky ship for me. Mm -hmm. I don't know. Mm -hmm. Noemi seems like she would walk all over him, which is like, if this is like the sort of dom sub relationship that you Mm -hmm. want, like, great. But 
I don't know. I think she might get bored of him. Yeah. I don't know. They're in different phases. He's literally just moved out of his parents' house for the first time. Yeah. And yeah. Noemi's been having like a, a cosmopolitan life. So maybe this is like an opposite to track situation. Yeah. I don't know. It also seems like convenient because they were mm-hmm. like the only two eligible people together in the house. And anyway, I don't know. Maybe she like likes the idea of being able to show him all this new stuff and like introduce it to him and kind of like turn him into the man she wants in her life. Noemi wants a project boyfriend. Yeah, I wouldn't say that's a good idea in life in general, but uh, if it's what you want to take on, you do you. It would make an interesting sequel. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, but probably not the kind of book that Moreno Garcia would write. (laughs) It doesn't seem like... No, I don't think we see a rom-com in our future. No, but also, I think it's also hard because I'm like, I guess it's kind of an annoying in a, in a way. I saw someone on Instagram like a few weeks ago, so I'll never find it again. You can just believe me that I saw it on Instagram. <laughs> where a person was talking about how like a lot of times in romance novels and YA novels, this book is not YA, I know, the brown or black person always ends up with a white person and now I can't unsee it. It's hard because I don't want to say, like, she should be with someone of her own kind. Like, that's not what I'm calling for, obviously. <laughs> that would be, <laughs> that that would be Howard Doyle. <laughs> exactly. But at the same time, I'm kind of like, oh, it would be cool if we could get, like, two brown or black people together or a brown person and a black person. You know what I mean? Or why like, wasn't she interested in, like, the hot doctor from town? I know. Come like, on. he wasn't married. Like, marry a doctor, never work again. It sounds like a real good job. (laughs) (laughs) You can be on archaeology fellowship forever. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. No, Emmy. We have plans. I actually ship her and the doctor. That's my new ship. Okay. That's a good one. Except she left the town, so, and she'll probably never go back. So, never mind. That ship isn't going anywhere. Yeah. Anyways, those are my thoughts. That was a long-winded way to say that I don't know that I'm on board with Francis and (laughs) No, And I obviously echo the sentiment because I interrupted you several times. (laughs) to say so (laughs) now we're going to talk about writing style narration characterization plot structure and basically whatever else comes to mind in a segment called kill your darlings so i just want to mention that this book is often on lists of ya books i literally just saw someone put it on instagram as a list of ya books and like everyone in the comments was like Mexican Gothic's not YA and I went to the comments and was like Mexican Gothic's not YA (laughs) (laughs) this is not a young adult book not only is the main character not a teenager but this book deals with some pretty heavy topics including sexual assault this could be a good book for more mature teens I think but that does not make it a young adult book so let's stop calling books by women authors YA just because they're women authors (laughs) it happens a lot Uh (laughs) and I'm annoyed (laughs) we hate to see it let's stop it's just misleading, too, because, uh, no, just no. Black Sun, as well, by um, Rebecca Rowanhorse. Saw it on list of YA. There's no way in hell that book is for teens. <laughs> Why don't you just go recommend The Poppy War, then? I know, like, I know, yeah. Jesus. <laughs> I know. I'm glad you brought this up, because I, I've i seen, like, a few different takes on... Because this happens occasionally. Like, ta- Nettie Okorafor is very vociferous about when her work gets miscategorized as this as YA. I don't know in particular why it happens. Sexism, racism, misogynoir, etc. Ignorance. Just like do even a tiny bit of research and you know that it's not young adult. 
Well, it's hard too because I think sometimes that line does get crossed. Like when you think of Sarah J. Mass, like A Court of Thorns and Roses never should have been categorized as a teen book. It was, and now they're putting it under adult since they changed the covers and everything. Yeah. So I do think there's like this fine line, and it's not like we can't have YA books that are about, you know, older teenagers or whatever. Like adult books sometimes have, you know, younger protagonists, um, main characters. Right. But. Like when the book is categorized as adult, like we shouldn't be putting it on lists of YA books unless you're going to say this is a book that could be good for an older teen or this is a book that could work for a teenager. Yeah, it's just like frustrating to me because it is often women writers. Even at one point, I think I saw The Poppy War and I'm like, that book is not for fucking teenagers. (laughs) Because teenagers can go as young as like sometimes people take it as like 13 and no. Young adult as a category is already problematic in and of itself that it does include such a wide range of young people like we cannot be putting adult books on that list as well (laughs) no no and especially because like not all recommendations are created equal like they have they're Mm -mm. bespoke to the person you know and their maturity level their reading level their especially when you're talking about young people I mean you're the Mm -hmm. youth services librarian here not me so like (laughs) yeah it's it's just a wild ride sometimes the inter the interwebs I said this already but I just want to shout it again that I loved seeing this contemporary non-white, non-Anglo take on the gothic fiction genre. Sylvia Moreno-Garcia does an incredible job making the tropes new and exciting, but while still giving us all of those creepy haunted vibes that we love for this time of year, especially. Before we end, it's time for Real Talk. Did reading this book make your perspective change in any way, or did it make you interrogate a concept or system or trend that you hadn't before? Um, mushrooms. Okay. Okay. <laughs> you know, I have nothing for this section. <laughs> I as know. I never do. I'm so sorry. <laughs> Maybe next week. <laughs> this made me think about how you can like authors and artists are so rad because they think of ways to blow our minds about like natural things like mushrooms mm-hmm. and how this could be like a device for like generational trauma and haunting. It's just essentially what it is. Right yeah so cool anyway that's what i that's what i have okay well let's move on to card questions card questions sound effects sound effects (laughs) oh i like this question what different ending could you imagine for the book francis should have died yeah (laughs) maybe that's mean that's all I, i mean i just maybe i think he should have died with the house like there should be no more doyles the Doyle line should be done mm-hmm. because they were so obsessed with it. That would be pretty poetic justice, I'd say. Yeah. Do you have a different suggested ending? No, I, that one's good. Thanks for listening to the Library Coven. We'll be back in two weeks-ish, probably. <laughs> Thanks for your patience, everyone, for a discussion of Trail of Lightning by Rebecca Roanhorse. As always, we love to be in conversation with you magical folks. Let us know what you think of the episode, anything we missed, or just say hi by dropping a line in the comments or by reaching out to us on Twitter or Instagram at the Library Coven. The social media is the place because pretty much only spam comments come to the website. (laughs) Very true. You can subscribe to the Library Coven on the podcast app of your choice, and we'd really appreciate it if you would rate and review the show and spread the word to other awesome people out there. If you're able to support our labor financially, you can make a one-time donation to us on Coffee. You can support us monthly on Patreon or by shopping at our bookshop.org affiliate page. Until next time, stay magical. Bye.
Lainey agrees. All right, let me let Lainey out. Lainey right. agrees. <laughs> Sorry, excuse me. I had to let Lainey out, do her bidding. <laughs> no worries. <laughs> we, we exist. We serve at the pleasure. Oh, yes, yes. 